And here we go. It's another Little Things First. Hi, Jim. Hey there, Tracy. I like these episodes because they're like little mini book clubs. Yeah, me too. And I really appreciate you being willing to read the one that we chose. Uh, I always have great intentions to read a lot of books, and that never seems to really happen the way that I want. If I could just read books all day, I, I'd be <laughs> close to happy. Well, we're sitting in your office. It's full of books. Have you not read all these? <laughs> I have read like three-fourths of them. No, I haven't read them all, you know, because there's like a stack of yet-to-be-read that I got to get to. Right. All right, Jim. So I found this book, Demoralized. Here's the full title. Demoralized, Why Teachers Leave the Profession They Love and How They Can Stay. I know, right? The reason I chose this is because... I think we have too many teachers who are not continuing on in teaching. And I'm worried about it because we don't have a whole big group coming in as new teachers either. What do you think? Have you experienced that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so what's the premise of the... Well, I mean, I read the book too. We both read it. But what, what's your big takeaway from the book? Well, at first I was thinking it was, you know, kind of more about just teachers being overwhelmed and, and maybe more like a burnout kind of thing. And and that was the way that I was sort of perceiving what was going on. But then that's not really true either because I've had some really, really good people leave that aren't really burned out. So I was glad, and the reviews for the book actually pointed that it could be a little bit different or a little bit deeper. So that that was at least the intent that I was expecting to take away from it. Um, but, you know, it, there are so many reasons. Well, let, actually, before we even get into the book, tell me more about what you think is taking teachers away besides boyfriends and babies. Those are the two first problems I think that I've seen. When I have new teachers come, Often they get married, they have to move away, or they have babies and then they want to stay home. Is that the primary reason that teachers leave in your vantage point other than burnout? Well, look at all those three Bs we have there. Boyfriends, babies, <laughs> burnout. Um, I think when I was looking at young teachers, if I was losing teachers, often for the young people... That's the ones that I was leaving or that were leaving. But then there's another group that's been in the business for a while. They've got maybe 15 years in and they decide to go. Now, personally, I haven't had that many teachers leave at that level, except they went on to become an instructional coach. They went on to get their PhD and then work at a district office. They went on to uh, get their law degree and be like an educational mm -hmm. policy expert. Well, that's and, a good thing, right? Yeah, it's a good thing. That's a good thing. So uh, when I'm thinking about this group of people who have like 10, 12, 15, 20 years in, I've noticed that they've actually gone up and they've grown up and out. So that's a really nice thing because that means we've helped them become educational leaders. We've helped them really become better teachers. Um, a few people have gone on to like work at the middle school instead of the elementary school. Um, anyways, that's been my personal experience, but I've been reading about how a lot of people just have, they just have their teachers leave. They, they are not going into education. They're going into something completely different. And it just, it's fascinating to me. I think the state that we're in, Utah, we're a little behind always, always what's going on in the coast. And so when there's some trends that happen and maybe more 
either coastal areas or more urban areas, it takes a little while to work its way to us. So I was sort of feeling like I needed to prepare what's really happening, what's going to be coming our way. That that was kind of my thinking. But tell me, what do you think? Why do you think teachers leave? Well, I don't think that our um, higher system of higher education prepares teachers well enough. Like, maybe they should be in school longer. That'd be the burnout part, right? Can you think? Yeah. I mean, like, if you don't feel like you're adequately prepared and then all of a sudden you get in there and, you know, things are a lot different than what you anticipated or you don't know how to teach reading, I think that's a big issue is the science of reading. And teachers just are not well prepared to teach reading when they go into schools. Um, I think another thing that's been on my mind lately, you know, I get on these, like, single-minded kicks for a little while, is the topic of, um, like, segregation integration we talked a little bit about this before because there's that new podcast mm-hmm. of the new york times yeah um, say, say the whole name of the podcast well, it's already. nice white parents um and it's just got two episodes out right now but by the time this plays it might be well into its run um but anyway i just think it's kind of interesting because i sometimes wonder if we've created these kind of impossible tasks by having schools that are predominantly um well they're high poverty they're predominantly students of color um there's just not it's not a you know a lot of english language learners it's just a a lot that a teacher has to do in a school and so i just wonder you know if our schools were a little bit more mixed you know, would that be a more doable task for everybody? Because some teachers, you can, you can travel across town where we live, where I live, uh, you can travel across town and you can get a vastly different experience Yeah, for and the I, same money. Yeah, and I do think that there is definitely some white flight that way. So there's two, two you know, questions there. One, we need way, way more teachers of color in our mm-hmm. school setting, period. Not even just necessarily in our, you know, more socioeconomically challenged schools. But I think that when we're when we're looking overall, we need to have a much better sort of representation of our communities in our in our teaching staff. So that's that's a separate issue. But I do think that you're absolutely right. No matter where you are, there is this group of teachers that are working at really impacted schools and they they have a, a good run, they they stay in it, they are working hard, but it is hard to maintain that high energy, high pressure. And there's that whole trauma impact that you have to live with too, where you've got kids who are struggling with some things that no kid should ever have to struggle with. And it kind of wears you down a little bit. So I do see that there is this sort of this this flow of teachers that go into the Title I schools because that's typically where the openings are. And then they move eventually after they've got some years under them, they move eventually when there's an opening up on the, in our case, it would be the East Bench, the more socially, you know, economically strong kind of uh, schools where the doctors and lawyers live. And you've got, you know, a, a lot more money in the neighborhoods and in the families and people are much more stable that way. So, so there definitely is a flow that goes from one direction to the other. 
Um, that is not part of the book, though. That is just sort of a natural progression. And when I think about really combating that, there's a part of me that recognizes some people were destined to be in Title I. Some people have the skills, they have the passion, they love, love, love the work, you know. Um, and and we just need to provide them with the support that they should have so they aren't going to be overwhelmed, whether it's kind of a hazard pay sort of support, whether it's more um, support as far as like smaller classrooms or more paraprofessionals or more administrative support. But there are things that we could do as a school system that could kind of help like pinch off that flow a little bit because I know people I've talked to who have moved into these other schools after they've left some Title I schools and they aren't as happy. They don't love it as much. And so in some ways we haven't done them a favor either. They have more rest, right? They're feeling more relaxed, but it isn't really fueling their passion as much. So, Yeah, I think we depend on... I mean, there are these sort of images of people like these hero teachers. You talked about it earlier. Yeah. You know, they've written books. Um, what was the name of the guy that you mentioned? Teach Like Your Hair Is On Fire. Rafe Esquith. Yes, right. Um, and, you know, I am i don't even know if uh, Mr. Esquith is still teaching or not. Do you? Yeah, I think he is. I mean, okay. he, he will go and he'll speak periodically. I checked it out, by the way. I was trying to find out, how, what does it cost anyways to have Rafe come and talk to your school? I think it was like $30,000. Wow. Well, I mean, good on him. You know, he's really <laughs> created a niche for himself. But I, I just, I'm hoping he just takes that 30000 to help his little Shakespeareans go on their trip <laughs> to Europe, but I don't know. But I think it's those images of like these hero teachers, yeah. and I, I feel like... Like, you know, that can be really disappointing for some teachers when they get into school and they can't yeah. be that. Yeah. You know, that image of that we see in movies and books of the hero teacher, you know, you can't do that unless you're working 12 hours a day. Yeah. Well, let's go just a little deeper into the demoralization that happens, they say, because I, I want to clarify that it's not really burnout, although it may lead to burnout. I don't think that it is burnout. And and here's a section where she, this is Dora Centaur, this is what she's, um, some of the ways that she's trying to describe it. You know, she says for teachers experiencing demoralization, the moral dilemma is not what they should do to be a good teacher, but what they, but that they cannot do what they believe a good teacher should do in the face of policies, mandates, or institutional norms. So actually what I see here is it's kind of a rub that mm, I don't really agree with what the direction is of the school. It continues on in this paragraph and says, the source of the problem is the dissonance between educators' moral centers and the conditions in which they teach. And I actually think for myself as an educator, I have experienced this, this demoralization where Mm, I don't know if I really, I really believe, I don't know if I'm really like on the team anymore because um, I don't know that this is what I feel like we, you know, is best for, for schools or for kids. Um, anyways, what, what I've are heard your that thoughts? from teachers. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've heard that from teachers quite a bit. Um, I, um, well, I mean, I think some of it, I don't want to like dismiss teachers' beliefs or feelings because she's done a lot of research. Yeah. Um, Dr. Santoro has done a lot of research. This isn't just her opinion. This is, you know, lots and lots of, of people that she's 
worked with and interviewed. Um, I want to say, though, that in my experience, I have found that sometimes those barriers are more imagined than real. Um, like, for example, I don't believe, we've had this conversation too, I don't believe that the testing that we require at the end of year testing, high stakes testing, uh, makes us, has to make us more um, rigid in our instruction. You know, we don't need to be test prepping students all the time. Or we yeah. don't need to um, mechanize our teaching and make it, you know, out of a book or whatever. I mean, worksheets strictly. Um, you know, I think a lot of teachers feel confinement. They want to do well on the test. And so they think that, that interpret the interpretation of that is, oh, I need to become... Uh, like the test, more like the test, and my creativity has to go out the window. And I just don't believe that. I believe that the best instruction in classes, what I've seen, the best instruction actually leads to the best results on those tests. Yeah, yeah. And I noticed that in the book too. That it, w it was interesting. They were talking in the teachers who were. So, so, so let me just go back to the format of the book. It's interspersed are actually voices of teachers who have felt demoralized. And then there's kind of some research about what's happening and what some solutions are. But I love it that there's these these teacher voices throughout. But I did notice that some teachers, when they're talking about test prep, I mean, this was like a six-week deal, it looked like, where they were teaching and then they would sort of have to stop the curriculum and then they would have to spend a lot of time. Now, maybe not. Maybe it wasn't six weeks, but they, they stopped teaching and then all they did was test prep. And then often they had certain kinds of like, I don't know, uh, direct instruction test prep booklets where they would practice these multiple choice questions, etc. And I agree with you, Jim. I do not think that that is necessarily a, a strong model to try and help prepare your kids. I, th I think that we do have to give kids experience so it's not the first time they've seen a multiple choice question. They should see the different ways that the questions should be asked by the test creators. I think that they should have the vocabulary, the academic vocabulary, so that they know what the what the test or the you know questions asking my favorite version is we've interspersed that throughout so it's not one big final um, test prep kind of bonanza that right before you take the test however I do know that we have chosen at times to have kind of a, a focus power standard right before we do our assessments either because it's been a long time since we've reviewed that material or because we recognize that kids are still struggling in a certain key, you know, focus power standard that we've identified. So we have at times had kind of a, a blitz, if you will, that's a reteach before we end up getting to the test area because we feel that they need to have another hit or they need a little more emphasis. I don't see that really as test prep because to me test prep is let's practice how you answer multiple choice questions correctly. What, what, what do you think? What's your definition and how do, how do you feel about the model I was talking about? Well, I think spiraling is a great idea and I think that that's, you know, well researched and, you know, it's an important part of keeping kids familiar with the content after they've learned it and making sure they truly mastered it and it's stuck. So, yeah. No, I don't think that's test prep either. I think that's just good instruction, making sure that, you know, you're continuing to revisit things from earlier in the year. Another thing that I was recognizing in here that has not happened in my school, but has 
was discussed, and that was um, they in the early on in the school improvement grants they were having a um, I don't know they call it reconstitution where if you like this uh, this school is not doing well and they would just fire everybody <laughs> and then they would hire people back yeah now. If there's anything that's demoralizing. Oh, for sure. Is everybody gets a pink slip. Right. And that actually happened at a school in the district I've been working at. And I worked with some of those teachers and some of those teachers came to my building. Now, everybody was promised a position um, if they wanted to continue working is the, is the way I re remember it. But everybody had to reapply for the job and only a few were selected. And so that was a really big hit for teachers who were doing some work that were not brought back and and were sort of shuffled, if you will, to another building. Um, I don't think that's ever been a good a good model. Mm -hmm. well, I don't know. What do you think? Um, well, I mean, you talked a little bit about, like, you know, the expectations of the building, the policies. Well, I guess Dr. Santoro talked about that in her book. Being different than the expectations of teachers, the moral center of teachers. And so maybe that's a way to more closely align teachers with what's going on in buildings, right? Is to find the best place for them to be. Sometimes maybe it's not. An, but do you have to pink slip them? <laughs> well, they didn't really get pink slipped, right? Because they didn't get fired. They just went to a different building. But they had to reapply. So some of them actually didn't get jobs in that particular case. Uh, I don't know, but I know I know that they had to reapply if they wanted to stay in the building, and yeah. only a few were selected. So everybody else who did not get the option to stay, and I think out of thirty people, maybe like two people got to stay. Everybody else felt like they were fired, even though they still have a job. They were fired enough that they got moved to another building kind of against their will yeah right that's very demoralizing i don't know i feel like uh, i think that's an effort by people to make a dramatic shift in education which i think in some cases is really necessary i don't know if that's the best way to dramatically shift things yeah so on the same point if you have some people who are in your building and you've been giving them coaching and you've been laying out some expectations and even with some of the coaching and support are struggling to a point where maybe they aren't making the progress because it's not a good fit i i think it's it is possible that people should not keep their job and i'm not saying this very often happens but it has happened and i think sometimes it could be just as demoralizing if I'm working my butt off and my colleague next to me is getting the same pay and is not showing up, leaves right behind when the students leave, is not doing their prep, mm -hmm. is not really working hard, I, I feel like we as administrators at time have an obligation to address when there's poor performance right? because I think that affects the culture and it lowers the bar. And I think for our really, really good, strong teachers, it's kind of defeating. It feels it feels unfair and it feels like, you know, we're yeah. only as good as our weakest link. I think these are systemic issues, really. Like, I think, unfortunately, the demoralization happens because teachers get the blame for things that are going on in the school system that really 
need to be remedied at a higher level, you know, at the yeah. institutional level, not without teacher input. But yeah. um, with teacher input, things need to shift at a systemic level. We've both worked at the district office, we know, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sometimes the, yeah. that's where the disconnect is, you know, between that moral center, I think, and the policies and practices of education. I love that. And and they have a, a an example in the book. Um, Dora Centra has an example here of a teacher that she's calling Vanessa. I don't know if that's her real name. But what you just said I think is really key is that this, and this example really highlights it, is teachers feel, need to feel like they've been heard. Teachers' concerns need to feel like um, it's been expressed. Now, does it always have to be so that they get their way? No, I don't necessarily think so. But in this case, especially with Vanessa, she was working with one administrator at first, and she wanted to make some changes. And the principal's response after she listened was to say, uh, you know, write up a proposal. And so this teacher did a really good job writing everything out, going deep. And then, in fact, they created this model that combined classes to focus on certain specific areas of inquiry and then it got to be so successful they've actually replicated it to other schools in the district well then that principal left and another principal came and the second principal was kind of more just like nope I'm the principal this is how it is so that teacher really felt muzzled felt like she wasn't honored felt like she wasn't listened to and really felt, as she said, underappreciated and invisible. Now, nobody in any job wants to feel underappreciated and invisible, especially if you have passion for the work. So when you said we need to listen to teachers, I think that's really key that we should have a pulse about what that moral center is for administrators, I think, in the sense that we recognize where people's values are, why they're in teaching, what feeds them, and that's different. Every teacher is a little different. Like one teacher I'm thinking of, she absolutely loves working with younger learners, kindergarten learners, wants to see that like first experience in school and when kids light up and they learn how to be in school and they learn about letters and sounds and they start making that connection with reading. But another teacher that I'm thinking of really had just so much passion about equity issues and making sure that students' voices were heard and that the families felt connected and that was what was really important there. And and they're not they're not in dissonance with each other, but what was driving the work that they had was a little different because it came from a slightly different focus. And um, and I think as school administrators, we have an obligation to find out why. Find out people's why. Why are you in education? Mm -hmm. What keeps you here? And, and what inspires you to do more? Do you think that some of the demoralization has gotten worse with the uh, COVID-19. I mean, I felt for a period of time, yeah. like this is a really good situation here because um, it's highlighting the work that teachers do and how important they are to our communities uh, because parents now all of a sudden have to <laughs> take some responsibility over that part of uh, society. And then, and so there were, I felt like there was a, respect was on the increase on the incline. And now it just sort of feels like, things got worse again. Yeah. Um, I think initially maybe there was a feeling 
that teachers were being recognized for the work at a, at a greater level, but I don't think that that's continued. I know just recently as I was looking at the news and um, comments that were made by some um, some things that were posted, you know, in some of the news outlets, and the comments by people were things that were really kind of horrific and and just if we're talking about demoralizing, and maybe this doesn't match um, what, what Dr. Santoro's definition is, but I mean, really horrific things were posted in there when they were talking about the fears of teachers going back that they might catch this COVID-19 and then they themselves might be at risk, especially some who have like underlying autoimmune, you know, conditions or that they're older. But the, the comments were things like, well, maybe this will weed out the weak ones. Oh, wow. And if you're a teacher, you, you just you just basically heard someone say, yeah, I think it's better if you die. I mean, that's the way right. I interpreted it. Yeah. It was shocking to me horrible. Um, to hear and see this in the news. And not all of them are quite as egregious, but definitely there was a, a feeling from some that uh, teachers are just babies and teachers don't care and teachers lazy. really just want they're just lazy and yeah. and that and that is so far from the truth. Um, right. I want to compliment our governor because he took time at one of our most recent um, press press statements, if you will, about coronavirus and returning to schools, and he he just honored the teachers by saying they have worked hard and they have done so much and they have moved our state according to NAEP results from the middle of the pack and now we're close to the top ten or in the top ten. I can't remember exactly the statistics of it, and I thought that that was important for people to hear because people have been working. Nobody joins teaching because they really want to fail their kids. And nobody joins teaching because they want to have the summers off. <laughs> there is just too many demands uh, that are taking place. And um, so in response to that, Jim, I think, I think actually in some ways it's made it worse because I think teachers feel like they're, they're not being honored. They're sort of sent to the slaughter. That's an extreme version of the, what I've been hearing from people, but that's how some people have been reporting it. And mm -hmm. at the same time, teachers are like, oh, but I miss my kids so much. And, oh, I miss being in the classroom. And, oh, I so much miss being able to work and help and see the light of learning that happens in the classroom. So I don't know. I don't know if that answers your questions, but yeah, it's been kind of horrific. Yeah. I would agree. I want to I want to highlight one of my favorite paragraphs. So if you get the book, this is on page 135. And this talks about um it's from a chapter on school leaders and that's why it seemed to be maybe speaking to me the most. But as we look at our role as principals, um we we can't ignore this. And uh, this this is the this is the paragraph Facing a nationwide teacher shortage, school leaders must prioritize retaining and working effectively with experienced teachers. Positive school climate for staff and students depends on a satisfied and cooperative cadre of experienced teachers. When school leaders perceive teachers like Vanessa solely as obstacles to be overcome or liabilities that require damage control, they miss opportunities to enhance the school climate for all. And, and Vanessa is the teacher that felt underappreciated and invisible because she wanted to make some changes. And basically she was told, nope, you just teach to this, 
this text and you have to have fidelity and this there's no going away from it and this is the only way to do it and um you know this was a very smart intelligent passionate teacher and so she actually was kind of you know in trouble because she wasn't doing it the way that the administrator thought and and i like this because uh, this paragraph reminds me that whether we like it or not we are having a teacher shortage and we cannot afford to lose teachers especially because they are feeling demoralized because in my mind if they're feeling demoralized that means these are passionate caring you know kid-centered teachers who are choosing to leave not because they're tired not because they don't like teaching not because they feel overwhelmed but they're choosing to leave teaching or leave their building if you will maybe they move to another area but they're choosing to leave because they do not feel like the work that's happening is good for kids or good for the school the parents etc what do you think jim yeah yeah i agree um yeah i think that's really valuable because i think sometimes um and that paragraph specifically speaks to teachers with experience i think sometimes um teachers with experience are are looked at as obstacles you know like um i don't I'm, i don't know why but just you know they don't Maybe they're, they're a little bit too entrenched in former practices and aren't as forward thinking. And, um, and I think that, yeah, really tapping into what those teachers bring to our knowledge base in our, um, in our field is important, really important. Yeah. So I was looking towards the end, too, when they're talking about the you know, strategies to try and help remoralize teachers, right? To help bring them back or help inspire them. And I love that terminology. Yeah. 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 And what do you remember from the book about remoralization? What were some of the things that teachers did that helped them sort of hook back into their passion? Do you remember? Um, no, you remind me. That's okay. So some some teachers like went and they they jumped into like some higher ed and they started mentoring other teachers. Some people decided to start a blog and then they were writing about like the the reasons that certain things can happen and really trying to inspire others. Some moved to a different school and they found a school that was a better match to the kind of kids that they and the kind of work that they were working on. Um, I think some people actually ended up. Um, like reevaluating their practice because they recognized that they weren't very proud of their work anymore. And so they tried to take better care of themselves, better work-life balance, and they really tried to focus themselves on what kids need, you know, really tried to change the way they were even talking to kids and interacting with kids. So there were, there were all different ways that teachers were able to sort of find both uh, internal as well as external sort of choices i guess that helped them tap back into the passion what i like about that is that you know teachers don't have to be perceived as victims yeah right like yeah. that's probably not the way to go and for anybody and teachers have a lot of agency to be able to um remoralize uh situations uh in their schools you know make themselves yeah. feel better uh perform better uh by by taking on some of these what about like reducing workload like isn't that kind of an administrative thing that we should be attending to i think that's demoralizing a lot of teachers just feel like the work is 
too much, too much paperwork, too much that they just don't think is valuable to the work that they're trying to do? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. I mean, I think that some of the research I show is that you've got to drop your class sizes down to below 17 before you really start to see some, some like, uh, big impacts on like student results. I'm not saying that 17 to 25 isn't a great number, um, but I think that's like a systems thing. And as a school leader, I don't know that we have a lot of influence on that because we sort of get the staff that we get based on whatever the formula is for the state and based on whatever the numbers are. But I think don't we ask teachers to do a lot of things like yeah. fill out this form, yeah. fill out yeah. uh, that form, uh, you know, let's add another initiative that is popular yes. right now, you know, and so we just continue to add, 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 and teachers feel like yes. I cannot put one more thing on my plate. Yes, that's absolutely true. And I think that's true in the sense that we used to be really focused on more the curriculum. And now we've added so many things without adding personnel to support. So we have the whole social emotional learning demands. We've got, you know, crisis and different kinds of kids, families and, and food needs and, and mental health support that they might need, as well as, you know, like they, they don't even really have shoes or they don't, you know, they, they don't have, uh, they aren't living with their family because they've been taken away and they've been placed in a foster placement. I mean, there's all kinds of demands that are happening on kids that make it so it's tougher for them to be in school. And teachers are asked to take on some of that mental health support that really, really needs to come from others, I think. Um, yeah, you know, here's here's something too I just, I wanted to to just kind of wrap up with a little... And that's the idea that besides this whole mental health demand and all these other kinds of things that we're asking teachers to do, you know, I'm looking, uh, in this case, again, if you've got the book, it's 188. And it's an example of another teacher's story. And I I read this and I thought, yeah, I can, I can see this. One thing I'm nervous about is, and it's not as much in our, our state, but it's, it's happening more and more. And it's this sort of cookie cutter kind of curriculum and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have curriculum that's consistent I think that that's important because I think it's a like a academic backbone that drives this week we're working on these standards this week we're working on these skills this week so that teachers can do that collaborative planning and collaborative assessment before I go into my little mission then what do you think Jim so far are we on the same page about an academic backbone yeah yeah, I, mean, I think it's important to have too. Yeah, but I don't necessarily think that every teacher has to teach it in the same way. I think teachers have strengths and that they have, like I think that teaching is an art and I do think that there needs to be some flexibility about how that information and how that instruction is delivered. Do they have the flexibility to not teach the same standard that their colleagues are? No, I don't think so because we're planning together in our in our you know planning meetings. We're going to be assessing the same standard in our assessments. We're going to be measuring how kids are getting smarter. And we can't do that if you're teaching different content than what I'm teaching. But I'm a, my role or my belief is I'm a little more flexible than some of my colleagues on do we have to teach this lesson on this day to the kids and be robotic? That one I struggle with. And if you look at uh, 188, you know, it just talks, this guy I think is really, uh, his name's Reggie in the book. He says, that his experience, he believes, is endemic of a culture shift to teacher as worker rather than teacher as professional. Mm. Teacher as the deliverer 
the curriculum delivery machine. And that, I think, has a lot of truth. And down towards the bottom, and he talks about when he advises new teachers that he wants teachers to always be ready to provide a clear rationale and purpose for each and every move. And, and that's what I've been asking teachers to do as a, as a building leader. I ask teachers, if you feel like you want to do something different, here's kind of things I'm tight on. Here are the things that I'm not flexible on. But then please give me the rationale why you're going to be making the changes, how that's going to help kids, how it's going to make their learning stronger. And if you can make a good case for it, I feel like I'm prepared as well if somebody challenges me on why that's happening. What What are your thoughts on that, Jim? Yes. Um, I think that... Um, <laughs> I think you're right. I think that there needs to be flexibility in the um, delivery of the programs that we have. I've heard many times it's kind of become trite, like this is a tool. It isn't, you know, we don't teach programs, we teach kids. Um, I think that uh, it's important for teachers to continue to be problem solvers because, um, you know, teachers need to be able to to know what they're teaching and why they're teaching it and just going through the program doesn't do that i mean it it doesn't it doesn't address the standards that you, your kids need it doesn't address um you know the, yeah. the the depth sometimes that we need to go to with particular standards and so or certain learning needs of kids or background that they may or may not be lacking right so i mean you just have to be uh, thoughtful a thoughtful practitioner, I think, and yeah. be able to adjust and make accommodations. And mm. um, yeah, I think that that's really critical um, because, you know, the curriculum is just, it's written f to be for everybody. Yeah. And it, and it, so it, it can't be, it can't meet everybody's needs the way that it is currently. So we have to be smart about With, using it. Yeah. Without a little bit of maybe specific, you know, focus or adjustments by teachers. They are they are the professionals. So I wish we could talk more, Jim, but I know that we, we've we got some more meetings that are coming up. So we're, yeah. we're going to have to pick this up, and I'd love to go – I'd love to go and look a little more at this because I think that we've got we've got some questions we need to find answers for as far as teacher retention. We need to talk to uh, Dr. Santoro. Okay, let's see if we can get her to be on our call with us. Yeah, because I mean I've got some questions I'd like to ask. I'm sure you do too. Okay, okay. we'll do that. We'll All reach right. out to her. All right, everybody, have a fantastic day. It's so nice to have you with us here at Little Things First. Have a great day. <laughs> <laughs>